Zephaniah 2, verse 3. It says this, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, O you amber of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. An article in the Daily Mail, uh, published a couple of years ago, said half of us failed to finish our DIY jobs. Uh, apparently, Londoners are the least likely to finish jobs, right? Once they start, Londoners presumably have other things to do, and they just don't finish it. People in the West Midlands are the most likely to finish. I guess they have lots of time on their hand up there. And yes, women are more likely than men to finish DIY jobs. One gentleman said, I wanted to add loft insulation to my house because it was getting very cold in the winter. Uh, but I gave up halfway through it. Um, it was just incredibly dull, uh, boring, and unpleasant. So I got fed up and I left the job after. That was his reason. Uh, we all tend to start off things right, don't we? And then somehow we lose our focus. Sometimes we just get bored. We, we're doing something and we just get bored and just move on to something else. So we just don't finish what we've started. Other times we really want to do something, but the problems just keep mounting up, right, left and center. And so what happens is that we just get, make a mess of it. Uh, so sometimes we finish the job, but poorly. I think of trying to fix a swing this past week outside the house for Abigail, and it took me, well, lots of hours, right? I think I would say close to six hours, because I, I kept starting and stopping, starting and stopping. Before long, six hours it took me throughout this week, and I've ended the week rather just mentally tired from doing the, trying to fix a swing. I think it's done, but my wife looks at it and thinking, hmm, it still needs a bit more, like, cement, you know, like, to really make it... Uh, strong. It is easy to lose focus in life, to start off things and we lose focus. We get discouraged when other things, as I said, take priority. And, and because we lose focus, that is why all of us as individuals and as a fellowship here uh, need to hear the message of God in Zephaniah 2 verse 3. That's why I need to hear it this week and I'm sure in your own work with the Lord you need to hear it. Those words, isn't it? Seek the Lord. All you humble of the land who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Now, I don't know how much you know about Zephaniah. We, we are, I, went, I preached with Zephaniah when I used to come here. And I'm hoping sometimes in the future would return to the book. But Zephaniah is speaking at the beginning of the reign of King Josiah. And he's speaking specifically to followers of God who are living in the ancient kingdom of Judah over 2,600 years ago. You see, the people of God at this time, uh, what has happened in Zephaniah, what has happened during the reign just before Josiah takes power, is that they have evicted God from the public square. They are worshiping pagan idols, and many of them have become very rich and uh, 
They're just trusting in their riches. And God has raised up the prophet Zephaniah to deliver a warning to them. Uh, they must turn from sin or they will perish with their pagan neighbors. So you read chapter 1. It's quite strong when the day of the Lord is near. Judgment is coming. And he says, God says in Zephaniah chapter 1, I'll set Jerusalem with a lamp. I'll, I'll go through every door as I bring my judgment to to, 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 to search those who truly belong to me and those who don't. So God is very angry with the nation of Judah. Uh, but right in the middle of this sinful nation, much like our own today, there is a small band of those who love God. And that's always the case. In the country, there's always a small band. God always has his 7,000. In the life of the church, there'll be many people, of course, who profess faith and who come to church. But there's always only a few faithful followers, even within the church, visible church. And God is now speaking to this faithful band of believers who truly love him. Zephaniah calls them the humble of the land in verse 3. All you humble of the land. And he has a very encouraging message for these. He's got judgment for everyone, but he's got encouragement for these few faithful in the nation. And he's saying to them, God is saying to them, continue what you're doing. Yes, you're looking around and it's very, very hard. It's very difficult. Yes, you're getting very little encouragement in your society. These people don't do God anymore. But you do God. You trust in God. So keep going. Don't look at the society around you. Don't look at what everybody else is doing. Press on. Continue seeking the Lord. Continue seeking righteousness. And continue seeking humility. And, and I think that's God's message for us today as well. Uh, all of us is saying to us as individuals uh, in this society, saying continue. He's saying to us as a church, uh, he's saying continue. Keep your eyes on me. Keep living for me. So how do we continue? Well, we continue by doing three things. There are three commands God gives us here. They all begin with the word seek. Okay? Seek. And the first thing we learn here is that we must continue. How? By focusing on Jesus. Continue by focusing on Jesus. The Bible says there in verse 3, seek the Lord. Right? Notice the word Lord is in capital letters. Why is it in capital letters? Because that is the name of God, Yahweh. So Zephaniah is saying, seek the Lord, the one true God of the Bible. Not just any God, but Yahweh. Right? It is him you have to seek. And, and, and Yahweh, as I say, is the personal name of the true God of the Bible who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? The name Jesus means Yahweh serves. If you like, as the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the creator God, Yahweh himself, dressed in the rags of human flesh. So this verse, when it tells them seek the Lord, for us here living now, it is telling us we are to seek Jesus. We are to seek Yahweh who has come to us in the person of Jesus. We are to seek him with all our hearts, all of our mind, all of our souls. And you know the word seek there? The word seek there means to make a careful, determined, and constant pursuit of God. Jesus must be the center of gravity of your spiritual life. 
Jesus must be the sun on which everything in your life orbits around. You are to live and breathe out, what? Live in and breathe out Jesus. And everything about your life must point to him. So for now he's telling these people, say, look, don't look at what the word is saying. Look at Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Don't look at circumstances in your life, in your marriage, or other things that's going on that's pressing you, or even your own health. Don't look at the discouragement he says to me as a pastor in the life of the church, or anything else going on. Look at Jesus. Seek Jesus. When your friends and co-workers look at your life, they must see the signature of Jesus written on it. There must be no doubt to people around you that Jesus is your holy addiction, your obsession, your holy obsession. And beloved, we can only do that if we already have a relationship with Jesus, isn't it? You can't tell a person to continue running if they never even get up for going for a jog. How are they going to continue running if they don't even get up to go and jog? You can't tell a single person continuing marriage, can you? They have to be married first for them to continue. In the same way, to continue in Jesus, you must first have an experience of being brought into his family, into his relationship. You must first have a heart spiritual transplant. God must crack open your heart. He must remove your current dead heart, which is corroded with sin and filth. And then he must inject within your heart a new heart. And once God does that in your heart, he then plugs that new heart to his life, to the very life of God, so that you live now in God and God now lives in you. And that is what we call conversion. What is conversion? That's what it means to be born again. You are dead, and now God has given you a new heart. And as a result of that new heart, your life now starts growing in becoming more and more like Jesus. As you spend more and more time. You need that to begin with because one of the many problems we have in our Christian life, why do we struggle to get Christians to do things? Well, because we're not actually talking to Christians. We are talking to people who are, who are dead. So the, the key thing in, in the life of the church, the key thing in, in your own life is that the key for you to continue seeking the Lord is first of all start with being born again. Because when you're born again, you have new affections new desire. There's life there. Yes, you still sin. There will be moments in which you plunge quite low in sin. But God brings you up. And the trajectory, as I like to call it, is like a sine wave, isn't it? An upward sine wave. You're like, you're going like this all the time, you see? There are peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs, but it's ever upwards. The trajectory is ever forwards. Every day, you are becoming more sensitive to just how sinful you are. And you are learning to depend on Christ more and more. And through that, you are growing in putting sin to death. You're discovering new sins you never knew were there. But the general trend is that you are growing to love him more and more. And before we even say, continue focusing on Jesus, we have to ask ourselves first, does this describe your life? Does that describe your life? I do. Can you say, as you sit here this morning, that you have a new heart that's longing to know God more, longing to love Him more? 
Because if it doesn't describe your heart, then you cannot continue. <laughs> because you're not yet on a journey with Jesus. You and Jesus are strangers. So what you first need to do this morning is to go to Jesus. Ask him to forgive your sins and give you a new heart that loves him. And if you are a true follower of Jesus, then, already, or if you've done that, and then you're now seeking to follow Jesus, what the command here is saying is, continue. Continue focusing on Jesus by growing in knowing Jesus. Not just knowing facts about Jesus. Right? That's what it means. Seek the Lord. Seek Him. Seek to know Him. Seek to experience Him. So today is an opportunity for you to ask yourself, am I growing in having great energy for Jesus? In the Bible study we said, when we were discussing the knowledge of God, we said people who know God have great energy for God. Brother Ola reminded us as we were having that Bible discussion. Are you talking to God more now than you did last year? Are you praying more now than you did this time last year? What is the trajectory of your life? Remember, it's not levels, it's trajectory. Where are you headed? Is your desire to hear from God growing? Do you have a greater desire now than you had last year to hear from God? Are you thirsty to study his word more now than you were last year? Are you having more great thoughts of him than you did last year? Everybody has different levels, but what is the trajectory of your life? Are you more committed to sit under the preaching of his word than you have ever done, than you did last year? Is there a growing hunger within you to be among his people than you had last year? Are you continuing or have you stored? Are you more eager than you've ever been to be around the communion table, to be reminded of his body and his blood broken for you? How does this year compare to last year? What is the trajectory of your life? You see, because if the answer to this question is no, then, beloved, come before God now and draw on his grace. Be honest with him. When I look at my life now and last year, Lord, it looks like I'm stuck here. I would like to continue. I would like to pursue God more, isn't it? And God loves you deeply if you have surrendered your life to Jesus. He wants you to know and enjoy him. He shed his own blood for you. He is totally committed to you. And he has made available all the resources we've been reading in 2 Peter chapter 1-3 that his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All the resources are available to you. So go to him now. There is no need to be pretending. I just, I just love raising my hand up to the Lord. Lord, this week has been a mess. Please clean it up for me. Lord, I'm backsliding in this area. I'm not sharing the gospel as I should. Help me. Help me. I want to continue to do that. We can do that because we have a loving Savior. But beloved, if there's no desire for us to continue to focus on Jesus, then it may be, and this is serious, it may be that your heart isn't just distracted by the world. It is that perhaps you're not truly converted. Sermon after sermon, you hear them pointing you to the same truth, but there's been no change. And the reason for that is perhaps, again, there's no life there. There's nothing to continue there because the race for you hasn't begun. In which case, you need to be born again and come 
repent of your sin and God to give you a new life. Because you see, true children of God want to obey their Father. And our Father wants us to continue focusing on Jesus. That is the first command here, isn't it? The second command is that we must continue doing right. Continue doing right. There, there is a temptation in all of us to do things in name only. I think of all the various gym memberships I've, uh, I've accumulated over the years at the start of each year. Sister Rosa, you know, very committed, Mama Alice, you know, these are proper gym people. But myself, when I've become a member, uh, it doesn't last after a month, right? But I like to keep my membership still, though. <laughs> it's like gives me sort of a psychological boost. Uh, we do things like that, don't we? In them only. We can become church members in them only. We can belong to the group of people in the church in them only. We're just there on the rolls. We, we we're merely existing. We often sign up to things when our heart is not really in it. And God knows that, so he tells us here to continue doing right. Look at that, what he says there, the second seek. Seek righteousness, he says there. Seek righteousness. What does it mean to seek righteousness? Well, in the Old Testament, right, it means to continue keeping the law of God or continue doing right. So it's important you understand this, that righteousness in the Old Testament is different from right. It, 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 it means slightly different from righteousness in the New Testament. When we speak of righteousness in the New Testament, we speak of God declaring us right. When the Bible commands you to do righteousness in the Old Testament, it's saying, do right. In fact, sometimes it even means do justice, right? Now, by essentially what he's saying is that keep the law of God. Continue keeping the law of God. Now, the law of God in the Old Testament, how many law of God were given to Moses? Moses gave the children of Israel. 613. So if you go home and try to count them up, you find that there are 613 laws that Moses gave the children of Israel. The prophet Micah reduced this to how many? How did prophet Micah sum it up? He reduced those, all, all those 613 to just three. Do you remember what Micah says in Micah 6 verse 8? He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? He reduced 613 to 3. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. The Lord Jesus, the King of glory himself, came and summarized 613 and reduced them, not, not from, three, from 3 to 2. He summarized it further. And Jesus reduced this to just two commandments, and we read about them in Mark 12, verse 29 to 31. We will come to, when we come back to Mark, I'm sure we'll go through that uh, verse. In Mark 12, verse 29 to 31, Jesus says this. Jesus answered, the most important is, what is the most important commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. So in short, according to our Lord Jesus, to seek righteousness, to do right, to do the whole law, well, simply means doing two things. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love others as we love ourselves. So when, when, when this passage encourages us to seek righteousness, that is what he's telling us. 
Seek to love God and love others as you love yourself. Now, we cannot do right. We cannot love God and others on our own. God must first make us right with him, right? Must declare us right with him. Give us a new heart that then loves. Because God is love, and if we're going to love, we need him to give us a new heart. And the good news of, is that if you are in Jesus, you have a new heart from God. You can do it. You can love because God has given you a new heart. Do you remember? That's why it's important to have that new birth first. Because without the new birth, you can't even love. Right? And because now you have a new heart in Jesus, God wants you to continue doing right by loving him and loving people around us. Why? Because first of all, because you can. And secondly, because you know what love is. You have experienced love. God isn't asking you something you have never experienced. He's saying, go love me and love others. Because you know what love is. How do I know that? Because it says that in 1 John 4, Verse 9 to 11. You can turn there if you want. And, you, and if you are confident to find back Zephaniah. First John chapter 4 verse 9 to 11. Says this. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son in the world. So that we might live through him. In this. This is love. Not that we have loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And, you know, you can go to Brother Nick's favorite um, passage, John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so and so forth. So we know what love is. So John is telling us in all of these passages, he's saying, we know love because we once stood condemned. Guilty in our sins before God. We were spiritually and eternally dead. We were once buried six feet under the eternal casket of sin. We were on spiritual death row. All that awaited us was everlasting punishment in hell, as we heard last week. We couldn't pay our way out of our situation. That's, what, that's who we were. But God in Christ has come to put his head on the chopping block for us. He has taken on himself the guillotine of the cross and has made us now go free. The chains have fallen off because Christ, the Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. God has reached out to you through those nailed hands of the Nazarene. He has given you a new life. A new family is adopted into you, into his own family. And he's given you a great future with him. This is what he's done for you. This is the love he's shown you. Now, we as beloved children who are so loved by God, how do we respond to that? Well, we cannot help but reach out in love to others. Because that love that keeps us, that saves us, is also the love that keeps us. And it's the love that energizes us. And now we've got to give that love to others. Love must now be our emblem, isn't it? So we must show love. And so when he says here, continue doing right. He's saying continue loving others. And they're living in a culture there where it's like, oh, you know, during the reign of Josiah, the world, you know, the, if you are faithful during the time of that period, when everybody's worshipping idols, you just stand out. And people would hate you for doing that because everybody likes to be in the same boat, sitting together, right? And if you stand out soon enough, you're being persecuted. 
So the prophet Zephaniah is encouraging them, keep doing right, keep serving God, and keep loving these people around you. Care for the orphans, care for the oppressed. Even the people who are persecuting you, love them, right? And God is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, look, love others. How do we love them? I think there are many ways we can show love to people in our lives. But I think the way we show love is by proclaiming the good news of Jesus in word and in deed. Because you see, there are many ways you can show love to people in your life, but the greatest and best way is to introduce them to the one who is love, the love of Jesus. The greatest need of your children is not your love, I'm sorry to say. You know, we, we, there's much which is said that you know, children need the love of the parents. Yes, to a point, they need the love of their parents, but that is not their greatest need. That your children's greatest need is to know and experience daily the sufficient, the never-ending love of Jesus for them. They need not you who's trying to learn how to love. They need him who is love. The deepest need of your friends in your life is not your friendship. That's good. What that friend of yours needs is she desperately needs to be friends with Jesus. Because only the friendship of Jesus, only Jesus can love closer than a brother. And that's their greatest need. You see, what this country needs is not your patriotism. It is not human love for Queen Country and Boris Johnson. No, no, no. What this country needs most is the love of Jesus. And if we can introduce people to the love of Jesus, then we are really loving them. That is the greatest need people have, the love of Jesus. And, I wanna, and so when God is saying here, God is saying, seek righteousness, saying, seek to introduce them to this love of Jesus. Take this love of Jesus. Continue to give them the love of Jesus. The question for you is, do you believe this? Do you believe that the love of Jesus is our greatest need? Well, if you do, then continue to come before God in prayer. Continue crying in prayer for people around you. Some of us cannot remember the last time we spent just three hours during the night to pray for some one person to be converted. You know, I, I speak to a lot of people, they tell me, oh, I want so-and-so to be converted. But beloved, have you ever even fasted before God for them to be saved? No. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm doubting whether you really want them saved. It's that simple. So my point is that we, we believe that the love just is the thing they need. Then if we do that, then let us come before God in prayer. Let us knock on his door so that God could hear us and save them. Ask God to help you pray better for the lost in your life. Ask God to help you love them deeply and to live attractive lives in a way that point those people to the love of Jesus. And ask God to help us as a church to make sharing this love with the world a top priority. Jesus is saying to all of us, as individuals as a church, continue doing right. How? By introducing people around you to me. That's the second thing, isn't it? First, continue focusing on Jesus. Point number two, continue doing right. Here is a final point, briefly. We must continue in humbleness. Continue in humbleness. I don't know if you've heard of a man called Henry Nguyen. Henry Nguyen was at the top of his profession, but something was not right within him. 
Here is how he remembers it in his biography. He says this, Everyone was saying to me I was doing really well. But something inside me was telling me that my success was putting my soul in danger. I found myself praying poorly. And I started living isolated from people around me. I descended in a dark place. So I started praying to God, Lord, show me where you want me to go. And I will follow you. But please, Lord, be clear and unambiguous about it. Now he tells us in his biography that God answered his prayer in the person of Jean Venier, the founder of a community for the mentally handicapped people. Now he moved from Harvard University, living with the best and brightest minds in the world, to live with men and women who had few or no words. It was a very painful change for Nawin. But Nawin knew that to love the disabled, he had to go where they are. He couldn't love them by email. He had to be with them. To do right, he had to embrace obscurity. As I thought about Nawin's life, it reminded me that loving others cannot happen without God making us humble. God must empty us out of our pride. He must bring us to the end of ourselves if we're truly going to serve him. And this is why God says here in Zephaniah 2, verse 3, notice what he says there, seek righteousness, seek humility, pursue humility. What is humility? C.S. Lewis tells us that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Okay? It is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Putting others first, continuously. And this is what God is commanding us to do, isn't it? All followers of Jesus must walk humbly before God. Because why? Why should we walk with humility before God? Because we serve a humble king. Jesus is the definition of humbleness is the definition of humility. Andrew Mary says this, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love humbling himself, clothing himself in the garb of meekness and gentleness. Why? To win and serve us. Christ is the love and condescension of God, the benefactor, the helper and servant of all. Is the incarnate humility. And then he says this He is still in the midst of the throne now, the meek and lowly Lamb of God. Isn't it amazing when we read Revelation? The image we're given of Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He's still full of humility, even though he's defeated all earthly powers. You see, beloved, you belong to God because God humbled himself by putting on the rags of human flesh and dying a shameful death for you on the cross. That's the only way you're a Christian. God humbled himself, became a baby, lived, died on the cross for you. And he's saying we are to seek that life, isn't it? We do need to continue to humbly lay our lives before him. 
so that God may alone have the glory, the honor, and the praise that he alone deserves. And that means laying down your life to him. It means saying, death to my rights. It is you, Jesus, or nothing. I have no life of my own except your life. I have no service for myself except your service. It is to say, I'm willing, Jesus, to be humbled, even if it means to look like a doormat before the world. I'm willing to forego any privileges for you. I'm willing to even give up that which I treasure most just for you. I'm even willing to follow you into suffering. And as we seek to serve God in our lives of the church, this is what God wants us to do, isn't it? To watch and pray that God keeps us from the temptation to live for ourselves. You know, as I thought about these people in the time of um, Zephaniah, I thought to myself, there must be huge temptation for them to be very proud. They look around, there are so many idols. And as we look at our culture now, we're saying, yeah, yeah, I am not like those out there. And to some degree, that is true, isn't it? We are not out there committing terrible sins. But the cross hampers us. The cross says to us, we are sinners. And we need the same grace from him. And we need God to empty us out of our pride. Not to look at the world with, you know, sort of like we are better. But to say, such were some of us. And such is still us. We need his grace. Because you see, friends, if we don't humble ourselves, God will oppose you. If you are living for yourself, God will eventually oppose you. In this life and ultimately in hell forever. Because living for yourself continuously may simply prove that you never came to Christ in the first place. But if you continue living, even if you do belong to him and you're living for yourself now, God will oppose you in this life. Because if you really belong to him, just go, look, I can't allow my daughter to take over the house. It's not going to happen. You know, she's only five. I'm not going to allow that. And the same thing for you. God is not going to allow you to run your life if you truly belong to him. He will oppose you until he makes you see sense. So the best thing to do is to turn to him, surrender to him, allow him to run your life. And if we do that, God will lavish more grace on you. Because that's how we have to understand the last sentence, isn't it? In Zephaniah, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. You know, the day of the Lord there refers to his coming judgment at the end of the age on all those who oppose Jesus, all those who refuse to surrender to Jesus. If you are trusting in Jesus, continue surrendering to Jesus, not opposing him. Make it your aim to continue serving our humble king. Because if you don't, God will ultimately oppose you, as I've said, on the day of the Lord. So the encouragement for us this morning is Continue keeping your focus on Jesus. Continue doing right by loving others. And continue serving your humble king with humility. And we can do that with full knowledge that no matter how hard or how difficult things get in our lives, in our culture, in this church, well, God's love and grace ever abounds for us in Christ. Because we belong to him in Jesus. Amen.